Well, welcome. I am uh, so glad that that each one of you have a desire to dig into God's Word tonight. Um, I'd like you, if you would, turn with me to Nehemiah 8. I know we're going to be in 2 Timothy, but Nehemiah 8 is where I'd like to start off. And what my hope is, is that I'll be able to set up some of the parameters here before we dig in, and ones I think that uh, hopefully will encourage your heart. But my hope would be that we would do something just a little bit what Nehemiah experienced in his life. If you understand a little bit about Nehemiah, Nehemiah was... Actually, in the middle of a revival, God used him in an unbelievable way. And he had the opportunity to bring his leadership to a brand new level. One of the guys that he hung out with with was Ezra the scribe. And what happened is that Nehemiah, as one of God's leaders, decided that, well, Israel was rather ignorant of the scriptures. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, what happened is that he had Ezra the, uh, the priest literally read scriptures for the Israelites. And I'd like you to go to um, verse 7. The Levites, and he names a bunch of them, then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people understand each passage. That actually is my goal for this study. My goal for the study would be to go through the book of 2 Timothy. Go through verse by verse by verse. Allowing the word of God to dwell richly in each one of us. I hope to explain well so you can apply. If you look in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah describes the Word of God as a fire. He describes the Word of God as a hammer. Uh, In the New Testament, Paul describes the Word of God as a sword. Now, if we look at any one of those metaphors, any time a fire has to do with anything, it is changed. You put a log in a fire, the log never stays the same. You put your hand in a fire, it never stays the same. A hammer, the whole idea of a hammer is for it to be able to, well, build something or bring harm. But anything that a hammer is used against changes, okay? A sword, the whole idea of a sword, again, is either to defend yourself or to inflict harm. Nobody ever gets swiped with a sword and they look the same. They just don't, all right? That's what God's Word is intended to do in every one of our lives. If we ever get to a place where we open up God's Word, we begin reading God's Word, we put it down and we say, that was nice. I think that should probably be a red flag for every one of us. Because God's Word is always given in order to bring transformation or change in every one of our lives. 
So tonight we're going to start a study in 2 Timothy. And my goal is this, is to help explain some of the situations and circumstances. To be able to give you insight into what Paul was actually saying to, Second Tim, or to Timothy. And that God's word, which is living, actually might be living. You know, the reason that I chose 2 Timothy is that for the most part I'm infatuated with godly men's last words. Now, if you've been around here a lot, you'll hear me talk a lot from Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is Moses' last sermon. And he shared his heart, and I love, I mean, this was just weeks before Moses was taken up with the Lord. And he had one last chance to be able to instruct Israel. And he poured his heart out. Well, this is the Apostle Paul's last words. There is something about watch or, or listening to people's last words. They seem to focus on what is important. We know Paul was an older guy. We know that he lived life in amazing ways, but he learned a lot. He has walked with God for a long time. And so his last words to Timothy are pretty important. And I do want to also share with you for me, I'm talking about 2 Timothy for a personal reason. Now, I know some of you know this, but on May 21st, which is two days from, from today, May 21st, I will be, as far as I know, the oldest living male wager on this planet. Okay? Nobody, nobody has lived past that moment, at least a wager and a male. So I look at this, and Lord willing, I actually have a physical on that day, and uh, the doctor will tell me again, uh, perhaps I, I will make it one more day, I'm not exactly sure. But I've looked at this six, almost 61. I've recognized it for years and years and years. My brother and I talk about it all the time. And the truth is, maybe God will give us more, but how have you invested this life, Rick? What's important? And so although these aren't my last words, Lord willing, it is something, again, that I look at and say, there's something about someone who focuses and is ready to see the Lord. What message will you give us? I also want to share with you, and some of you know this very well, but the proper way to look at a scripture is really um, what I would call a two-step hermeneutic. A hermeneutic is a way on how you interpret God's word. This is not trying to make anything, you know, you don't have to go to seminary in order to understand this. But every time that you open up the word of God, you need to be able to ask yourself two questions. The first question is this, what did it mean to the original hearers, all right? Now again, you can be a little bit fluffy, and I know most of you aren't. You can pick up the scriptures, and you can say, oh, this is so good. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens this door, oh, I will come in and I will sup with them. That is so nice. That is, that's going to touch my heart. 
it must be talking about Home Depot doors. And, and it's probably God's telling me, I need a new front door. I should go and I should go do that. Now, I don't think God's actually telling you that. The truth is, is that so many times we'll open up a scripture and we'll not understand what it is really meaning to the original hearers. My hope today and in our study is that we look at that, that you get a context. Secondly, what is God teaching me in light of that study? Because the culture is really different at times, okay? So as we go through 2 Timothy, those are the questions that we're going to continue to ask. What does it mean to those original hearers? And what is God going to do in my own life? Well, we're going to look at step one first. And let me give you just a little bit of background. So many, again, have have understood some of this, but Paul really was incarcerated two times. The first one we read about in probably Acts chapter 28, it was called a house arrest. During this house arrest, it wasn't such a bad deal. I mean, he could talk with people, he could go in and out. It was more or less an opportunity people could provide for his needs. He had sanitation, uh, he could actually preach and teach. Nothing was restricted. It was kind of like a bad slap on the hand or wearing an ankle you know, bracelet uh, by, by the, uh, you know, the, the policeman that would keep track of where you are and what you're doing. So you don't have ultimate freedom, but you have a lot of freedom. Well, this book was written when Paul was in prison a second time. It happened about six years later, and the total environment had changed. Nero was a number one enemy at this moment of all people. He had blamed the, Chris, the Christians for all the destruction of the known world at that time and the burning down of cities. So realistically, Christians were not only disliked, they were hated and oftentimes incarcerated just for following Jesus. At this time, he was in chains. At this time, Paul was literally in a dungeon. There was no sanitation and probably very little light, if any. Most commentators would be amazed that he could even write a letter at this point in his life, but he did. There actually was no relief. There was no coming before um, judges and, and hearing a person's case. Once a person went to prison in this situation, they probably died in prison. You'll see in some of Paul's writings that he was extremely discouraged because everybody left him. Nobody supported him. Nobody actually came and visited him. For the most part, there were a few. But he was pretty discouraged if you look at that. The church, actually, at this time, that Timothy was a pastor, was leaning toward poor theology and ungodliness. Now, many of you have read the book of Ephesians, and Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus at this moment. It was the church that the Apostle Paul spent the most time at. It was the church that was most doctrinally sound. It was the church that had the most mature believers in it, all right? 
But at this time, because of persecution, because again, there was opportunities for them to perhaps not listen or be grounded in some of the very basic things, the Apostle Paul knew that Timothy needed to be encouraged because the church, which was once strong, was struggling at this moment. Paul loved Timothy. Paul spent a lot of time with Timothy. Paul probably led Timothy to the Lord. He probably came to faith underneath Paul's ministry. And so he looked at Timothy and knew since his last days were, well, he was in his last days, that he needed to pass the baton. He knew it was so very, very important that Timothy would remain strong, that Timothy would remain faithful, to be quite honest. So he wrote this. But he wrote this recognizing that Timothy was probably not as strong as he had hoped. You can tell by his letters, whether it's 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, in spite of his relationship, Timothy had a tendency to waver. And so, especially in this book, it's, it's very unique. There is a lot of encouragement, but technically the encouragement is written as an admonition. Now again, many of you could probably care less at this moment, but an admonition is really a very strong way of saying, hey, pay attention, all right? I love you, but you've got to listen. In fact, there's only really one compliment in all of 2 Timothy. The rest that you read is, hey, hey, make sure you do this and make sure you go here. Uh, you know what, Timothy, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. And I get this sense, Paul's in prison, not seeing a lot or not understanding a lot that's going on. And he's saying this, this is my last chance. This is my last shot. I want to make sure that you, as a pastor, lead the church well. Realistically, what Paul says, um, and this is kind of in my language, but he says, hang on to Jesus and faithfully serve the king. He's going to say that over and over and over again. He's going to say, I really want you to be faithful in spite of circumstances. The world is going to get harsher. The situation, the scenarios that you're going to experience are way worse than they are right now. So I want to prepare you. I want to, I want to help you hang on to our Lord, to remain faithful. To be quite honest, um, if you look at our culture, if you look at what's happening right now, um, there, there's quite a few of negative people out there. Our world is not becoming more Christian. Our world is becoming more pagan. Um, if for some reason you look at the two cultures, the one that Paul wrote to Timothy and in ours, you could, well, make some unbelievable parallels. So the book, I think, is very relevant. Um, Paul's not panicking, but Paul is very insistent. These would be my expectations. I mean, after tonight, you may never come back, and I get that. But if you choose to hang out here and look at 2 Timothy with us, 
this is what I would hope you would do. Three things. First of all, I wish you would read the text often. And you'll see we are not going to go at breakneck speed. So technically you should be able to read what we cover plus, you know, uh, 15 or 20 verses further than that. Okay. So that'll be important and, and to read that as much as possible and just try to, again, begin to understand a little bit where Paul's going. Secondly, I'd like you to take notes. And many of you are already doing that, but I think, again, there's going to be some things that I'm going to be sharing. If you don't take notes, my guess is you're not going to remember it. So I want to encourage you to do that. Thirdly, um, I'd like you to pass on what you're learning. Now, one thing that as you go through a text verse by verse, um, you're not going to go away saying this was the main point of the text. What you're going to go away saying the main point of the text for me was such and such. And you may see things very different than the person you're sitting next to. But what I'd like to encourage you, and you're going to see this over and over and over again, learning for us isn't just for us. I honestly don't want a bunch of fat people leaving, you know, that we're just gorging on, on an unbelievably good meal. What I'd really like you to do is give some of that away. And I don't know who you're going to do that with. I don't know how you're going to do that. But if you can, every time you hear from God, every time you learn something from God, remember that, hey, this isn't just for me. This isn't just for me. How can I teach my little boy? How can I encourage my husband? How can I talk with my coworker? What, whatever the scenario is. And I think, again, you will see God use some of the things that he's learning or that you're learning in a very, very real way way. All right, let's open up. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Now again, you guys, some of you have electronic copies and um, some of you have uh, your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to be speaking from the New Living Translation and uh, hopefully uh, some of those things will look a little bit different to you, but uh, if you need a Bible or you need uh, some help finding 2 Timothy, just go right to the um, index, and that's probably the easiest way to find any of these passages. Let's begin reading. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul starts off identifying himself, but saying this, that he has been chosen by God to be an apostle. Many of you know the word apostle just simply means sent one. But almost in every context of the New Testament, when the word apostle is used, it probably would have more of an idea of a sent-out ambassador. Now again, today we understand what ambassadors are. That was not probably a common word back then. But an ambassador actually is a very high position in our government. Because what ambassadors do is they go to a foreign country and they carry the authority, literally, of the president. And if you're ambassador to Vietnam or you're an ambassador to Iran or you're an ambassador, you just put it out there. 
Realistically, people will judge the United States by how you live and how you interact with people. Now, I know that's not always fair, but, but that is basically the role of, a, of an ambassador. An ambassador needs to know especially the president's heart because when the ambassador talks, he or she needs to be able to represent the president in a very articulate, meaningful, and real way. Because if the ambassador does not represent the president well, I guarantee the president yanks that ambassador. Okay, The ambassador's got to be that spokesperson. So realistically, what Paul is saying here is that he is standing in the place of Jesus. He is the one who is being sent by Christ himself. And he is Christ's ambassador. That's a pretty neat title. But he said this, he goes, this is what I am going to be telling people. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Sent out basically to tell good news. He goes, my job as an ambassador is really very simple. I'm going to be Christ's representative. I'm going to actually leave the comfort of my house. I'm going out into our world, and I'm going to let people know what the good news is. Now, Paul uses that term all the way through this. The good news is simple. The good news is that you were once dead, but because of Jesus' life and death, you now can live. The good news for everyone is that you don't have to stay dead anymore. The good news is that you can experience abundant life. You can enjoy the blessings of God, that you can be redeemed, that you can have a relationship with the Almighty. This is the good news that I'm an ambassador that I'm going to go and share with everybody. You see, I think Paul in some ways saw his message even stronger in his last days. You know, I think one of the marks to me, and again, as I'm getting older, one of the things I'm enjoying watching is anybody who is older than I am, do they still love Jesus? Do, do they really excited about his message? Are their lives being transformed still? Or are they comfortable? Are they going through the motions? Are they retired? You know, which in some ways, I'm not against retirement, but, but most people look at retirement kind of focusing on, okay, this is my time now. I get to do what I want to do. And actually, retirement's one of the greatest opportunities where you can invest differently and better in, in what God has called you to do. Now, I look at Paul's situation changed. I can't even imagine the stench. I mean, how many of you get disgusted when a baby has a dirty diaper. I, I mean, we're, we're there, okay? Oh, or when, you know, your husband um, passes wind, you know? And, and, you, and you look at this and say, when are you ever going to grow up, Rick? You know, like, this is not funny anymore. I've lived with you so long that, that you know, let's cut out this humor. I just think it's funny, 
you know, and so I keep laughing, you know. But imagine in a, in a room where a whole bunch of people are, and they're chained, and there is no sewage. And Paul sees his role. I mean, don't we all complain when things are a little bit rough? Don't we all wish, even, even ministry-wise, you know what? I wish I could be in this spot, or I wish I could influence this, or I wish I had a small group that was over here. And Paul looks at this and says, hey, I just want you to know, I'm going to start off. I've been chosen by God. Now, I know if people look around right now, the whole chain thing is a little bit, you know, constricting. Get it? A little constricting. You like that, Mike? Yeah. That was funny. It was. Okay, you didn't laugh that much. Okay. The chain thing, the chain thing is a little constricting. So how do, I don't know, like, this wouldn't be my way of saying, hey, you're a sent-out ambassador? But that was Paul's idea. And he got more excited, I think, as he got older about his role. And he realistically just said, hey, I have the opportunity to tell other people good news. Now, we don't have any idea what people came to faith. We don't. We've got some other ideas. If you remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul was hanging out with Silas. Do you remember that? And he um, was arrested actually falsely, and he was brought into a prison, a dungeon, a deep dungeon, just kind of like where he probably was at right here. He was scourged, he was whipped, and so on. And the whole dungeon, the whole area, that the story is an amazing story because after he got whipped and after he got put in stocks, he wasn't moaning. He wasn't complaining. Doggone it, he was singing hymns. Now, I don't know if Paul had a good voice. <laughs> I don't know if Silas like harmonized with him, you know. And all the jailmates were going, oh, this is like Caleb. I love it. We're they're singing praises to Jesus. No, I don't, I don't know what their response was. But I know that because their relationship was unbelievably close, something that we normally would complain about, they were praising God about. So here Paul is, lousy situation, no hope at all. I'm going to probably die here. Now we know that Paul was beheaded, so I, he had to at least leave the prison probably to get beheaded, okay? But he, there's no hope here. And he says, hey, I just want you to know my calling. I've been chosen by God. And my goal is to be able to tell the good news. People were once dead, but when they have a relationship they come to faith, they have a brand new relationship with God. They're new creations, and that's kind of cool. Then Paul says this, I'm writing to you, Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. You know, there was no doubt Paul's affection for Timothy. As I mentioned to you, on his first missionary trip, which is recorded in Acts chapter 13, Paul was sent out to start churches. That was his passion in life, was to be able to go to places where nobody had heard the gospel, 
be able to share good news, watch people respond, gather some folks together, start a nucleus or a church, be able to appoint leadership and then go to another city and do the same thing. Well, in this trip to Galatia, this is probably where Timothy came to faith. As we're going to find out, his mother was a good Jew, his grandmother was a good Jew, but somehow he came and saw the Messiah very clearly and made this responsible decision. But Timothy was a son. He was considered a son. Because even after he came to faith, you'll find all the way through Acts especially, he spent so much time with Paul. So he hung out with Paul, he did ministry with Paul. And again, anybody who does ministry with people, you have this camaraderie. You see this in mission trips. You know, oftentimes, whether it be high school kids or wherever you go, they, they leave, they go to a foreign country. They start serving their God together. There's not as much complaining. There's hard scenarios or situations, and it seems to draw people together rather than separate people. So it was no different. Paul was the older, elder statesman, and Timothy was the young man that came to faith. And he says this. He says, may God give you, may you experience, well, something every single day. And he said this, he said, I want you to experience grace, God's grace, I want you to experience God's mercy, and I want you to experience God's peace. Grace is something that God gives you even though you don't deserve it. Mercy is something that God doesn't give you because you ought to deserve it. Peace is a calmness in life, a confidence. But Paul's prayer is this, is that every single day that you get a measure of God's grace, of God's mercy, and of God's peace. How many people today, they don't understand they need mercy and grace, I get it, but are striving for peace. They will do anything to have a less hectic life, to have some calmness, to be confident. You know, one of the things... I notice as you spend time with God and recognize all that God is and all that God brings and how much God loves you and how much God cares is that you are drawn more and more to this amazing God. In Psalm 86 verse 15, David writes this, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and kindness. As we spend time with our God, we are given gifts by our God to not only just exist every day, but to be able to thrive. Verse 3, Timothy, I thank God for you. Now what strikes me, and, and, and I know... Um, I haven't even finished verse 3 yet. But what strikes me is that there's no mention of Paul's situation or circumstances right here. Okay, there isn't. There isn't. He's not saying, you know what, it really is a lousy day today. It really, and, and nothing about him. 
He turns immediately and starts talking about Timothy. He goes, hey, I just want you to know, Timothy, I thank God for you daily. Over and over. It's in the context, I never stop thanking God for you. Timothy made quite the impact. We know he's rather fragile, but somehow Paul is pumping his tires right here. He said, I thank the God, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I consistently or constantly remember you in my prayers. You know, Paul starts off thanking God for Timothy. And then he starts describing his God. Now, if you remember, you know, most of us have put Paul up on a pedestal, and that's true. You know, he deserves that in many ways. Okay. He, he wrote an unbelievable amount of literature, represented God. Well, we memorize it. We look at it. He spent some intimate time with God. At least most people think about three years in a desert, just understanding who God is. But his past was not so sterling. There were people all over that every time Paul came around could be pointed at and says, hey, you killed my dad. Hey, you murdered my mom. Hey, you brought this guy, you know, who was my good friend and put him in prison. Paul's life was changed drastically. But he says this. He says, Timothy, I thank God, the God I serve with a clear conscience. To me, that's amazing. Because one of Satan's unbelievably effective tools is to be able to bring up every one of our pasts so we become ineffective in the ministry that God has called us to do. If anybody could have been badgered, it would be the Apostle Paul. Well, you know what? I don't think I can go over there to Galatia. I don't think I can go to, you know, Ephesus. I don't think I can go to Philippi. I don't think I can go over there to Colossae. I don't, because you know what? I've already been there. And there's a bunch of people that, that are not going to like me very much. But that didn't stop Paul. He said, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God that has cleared me, the God that has forgiven me, the God that has given me unbelievable responsibility and privilege of being able to proclaim good news. I'm a different person. And he says, night and day, I remember you in my prayers. You know, Paul talked in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, and he gave an admonition there that said something like, pray without ceasing. Now, as we walk with God, there's going to be some of these verses that come across, and you go like, how do you do that? Well, if prayer to us is this something where we do this, walk around and look up, um, it's going to be very difficult to be praying at all times. You can't drive that way, you know, hard to sleep that way. It's really hard to eat a good meal that way, you know. How do you do that? Well, remember, prayer is just really communicating with God. And maybe if I could just describe it like this, maybe it's like spending a day with your wife or with your husband. 
And it's not something, again, that, that you talk all the time. In fact, oftentimes Sharon talks a little bit too much, and I just need to say, Sharon, you just got to you know, quit talking so much because I, I can't process very well all the, all the things that you're saying. You know, But what does happen is this, is that there's times of silence. There's times when I don't have to say, oh, uh, Sharon, I can just talk. Because we have this relationship, we're walking down the path together, and I think this is really how Paul describes prayer. He's saying, you know what, I want you to be so intimate with my God, all right? I want you to pray. I want you to be able to talk to Him all the time. You can wake up in the middle of the night. You don't even have to address Him. You say, oh, I'm not feeling so good, Lord, you know, and you can... You know, I, I had this conversation with my son the other day, and you know all about it. You were there, but, you know, can you work in this situation? Um, or maybe you'll bring some conviction. Say, you know what, Lord, I, I kind of spotted off in a poor way to my coworker. And sometimes God brings conviction or whatever, but the idea of prayer or praying without ceasing is just really talking to God back and forth. It, it's not necessarily in some kind of a position. And so when Paul says this, he says, you know, day and night, I, I, I talk to God about you. Now, granted, there wasn't a lot of entertainment being in chains. Wasn't a lot of movies. Wasn't a lot of anything, okay? And maybe he had an opportunity really to pour his heart out for his friend. But the truth is, he goes, you know, Timothy... I, I just thank God for you. And I just want you to know, I am praying for you. It's really, really important. Prayer counts. You know, I'm in a, a small group on Thursdays. In fact, Jason's in that small group with me, and we've been reading through some of the scriptures. And we recently came to a passage in Romans 15, verse 30. And you can write this down or look over if you want, but... This caught me. This was the Apostle Paul. He again, this was the end of the letter written to Romans, and he says this. Dear brothers and sisters, I urge you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to join in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do this because of your love for me given to you by the Holy Spirit. This verse just caught me. Because Realistically, when I pray, when I am talking to God on behalf of others, I can join in their struggle, or I can join in their life. I can join in what they're going through. I can empathize with them. And there is something that Paul was saying, would you pray for me? Because I need your support. I want to know that you're walking with me. And, I, and I'm going to ask you to do this, really, because you love me. Because you love me. You know, prayer does show our dependence upon God. But realistically, one of the things that prayer does is get us very involved and, and helps us join in other people's lives. 
You know, it's really easy sometimes at the end of a note or end of an email to say, hey, I'm praying for you. And many of us do that. But the truth is, is that each one of us, when we say that, and if we're honest, we are encouraging one another to say, you know what? I'm talking to God about your situation. I know that you're struggling with your wife right now. I know that you'd like a job. I know that your kid is being irresponsible. I know that, well, maybe rent is due and money is really short. You know, God, would you, on behalf of such and such, would you hear my plea? And almost thanking God for being able to be part of someone else's life. It's quite amazing. And then Paul writes this in verse 4. I long to see you again, and I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. You know, he yearns to see Timothy. And I guess I asked the question, how many people on this planet do I literally yearn to be with? Now, there were some names that came to mind. Okay. And Sharon would know the names. You wouldn't. But, but the bottom line is there are certain people that I yearn to be with. And I ask this question. Why do I want to be with these guys, with these ladies? What draws me to them? Now, I can tell you right now it's not because they're good horseback riders. Okay, it's not because they beat me in ping pong. It's not because they're um, really good at telling stories. If you were to ask yourself a question, out of all of your relationships, what are the people that you are drawn to? My guess is this, is that you are drawn to people that help you love Jesus better that give you truth, that help you understand who you are in Jesus. They, they give you wings, not because they just pump your tires, but they help you live life in a way that you soar over even obstacles or problems or issues. Those are the people you want to hang out with. Those are the people you want to text when you're discouraged, and when you're down. And I think, again, there was something that happened between Paul and Timothy. They had done all this ministry stuff together, but there was this iron sharpening iron. And they enjoyed that relationship. I also think this is that they had great memories. You know what I'm finding out is that uh, sometimes I embellish memories and sometimes I just forget memories, all right? But what's really important is for me to be able to keep reminding, especially those loved ones that I have, of God's amazing faithfulness in our lives. I look over the 60 years of my life, from, from very young all the way till now, and, and God has been unbelievably faithful. God has answered unbelievably a, a huge amount of prayer. I can talk to people, not in a bragging way, but to be able to focus on our God in a very real way and saying our God is going to provide. 
You know how I know? Because for 60 years, he's been doing that. I can share with you. I can share with you this miracle. And I can go in this direction. And I can help people see by sharing stories. Why is it important to tell stories? To share memories? To write those down? You know what? I, I think in some ways, those folks who have learned to journal early, will love what God does later on in your life. Because so many times we forget all that God has done. But the journalers don't. And so Paul just says, man, I, I just want to see you. I remember when we, when we left, we cried. I didn't know when I would see you again, but I, I just love you. And I know if I get to see you again, I'm, I'm going to be overjoyed. And I think it's because of their ministry together, their life together. Then in verse 5, he says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Do you realize this is the only commendation that Paul gives Timothy? I just want you to know. He does not pump Timothy's tires anymore. All right? He encourages them or whatever. But he says one thing, unbelievably good and kind. He says, I know that same faith continues strong in you. And he's just looking back. And he's saying, you know what? I remember your genuine faith. Now, the Greek word here for genuine is, is a word that we would use for hypocrisy. But there's a little part that changes in Greek, and, and what really Paul is saying is this. He's saying, I know that your faith is the opposite of hypocrisy, that you are the real deal. That you trust God in an unbelievable way. I saw it in your mother. I saw it in your grandmother. Now you know what? Not all of us have had the privilege of having parents or grandparents. Or you can go further. That love God or walked with God. But imagine, you know. I don't know how my six grandkids are going to end up. I really don't. But I can tell you this, that Sharon and I have been faithfully praying for these six kids since they've been born. Now, we've also been praying for our kids and for their spouses. I mean, we even prayed for their spouses before we knew they were going to have spouses. Okay? So, there's something about that. And I know, my mom was kind of crazy, all right? She would keep saying this over and over again. You know what? I don't know what the future holds, but I'm praying for it. And she would list all these people that she's praying for, you know. Like, if Joshua has kids, I'm praying for them. God's going to remember. I don't know. I don't know where she got her theology. i got to be honest. Okay. But somehow, I think God honored that. All right? And I think, again, that we have privileges. And, and Paul is is bubbling right now. He's saying, you know, you're, you really do have sincere faith. 
I am so grateful that you're trusting God in ways that are hard to trust God. Remember, one of the things that's over and over again we see in the scriptures is God smiles when we have faith. God smiles when we trust Him. God smiles when we look to Him. And in spite of circumstances or situations, okay, we hang on to Him. And he says this. He says, I, I just want you to know that faith that faith that I saw in your parents seems to be even more in you. You know, I don't know of all the situations, but if you could picture Paul in prison in this unbelievably difficult situation, not mentioning anything about himself, greeting Timothy, recognizing that this might be the last bits our, our last words that he's going to be able to share with this young pastor to a church that's, that's kind of bowing down to the culture. And he was able to applaud one thing. And he says, I, I just know your faith. Your faith is strong. I know that you are not doing all things well right now, and I know the church isn't doing well, but I want you to know I appreciate your faith. Then we're gonna we're gonna, gonna actually press on here, and we're not gonna be able to go much further here. But Paul at this time switches gears. This is almost just a, an opening. This is just a greeting. He's just kind of setting the stage. But Paul gives some specific truths to embrace. These are the admonitions. These are the strong encouragements. Or if some of you grew up in the King James Version era, these are the charges. Okay, these are the, the things that, that Paul says, hey, don't forget this now. You're going to be moving forward. Hey, I'm not going to be around much longer. You got it? So please listen to me. This is all critical. And he starts off right away. Look at verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, realistically, um, every one of us, at the time we came to faith, and I realize again that sometimes that's fuzzy, but the day, the moment that you transferred your faith from yourself and your works to the work of Jesus on the cross, and you trusted Him as your Savior, the scriptures say that you have been changed into a completely brand new person. You're new from the inside out. At that moment, God graced you. Okay? Now, you may be having a, a, a great um, personality. And you may, um, you know, just be able to sing. You may be able to play an instrument. You may be able to communicate well. You may have great compassion before you came to faith. Now, God isn't saying, hey, I'm just going to build on what kind of personality you have or gifts that I've given you. I believe that when you came to faith, that God supernaturally 
gave you gifts in order to equip and build the church. That each one of us have been given gifts not to focus on us, but to focus on others. All right? In 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 10 or 11, Peter writes this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Isn't that amazing? Peter. Peter says, hey, I just want you to know God's got this unbelievable storehouse. And I don't even think all the gifts are listed in the scriptures. I I just don't. But I know this, is it says, you know what? I am an unbelievably smart God. I'm omnipotent. I'm omniscient. I know all the things. I know where you're going to be in five years. I know where you're going to be in ten years. I know who you're going to marry. I know all the different scenarios. I know what church you're going to be in. I know what fellowship you're going to be in. And you know what? I am going to give you the right gift scenario. Maybe you get one gift. Maybe God chooses to give you six gifts. Maybe God chooses to give you ten gifts. I don't know. But to whom much is given, much is required. And God, again, doesn't give you gifts for yourself. Peter writes again, Hey, each of you are going to get a gift. At least one gift from God's great variety. Use them well to serve one another. I think one of the hardest things in the world, at least in our consumerism, you you can come in, Norm. Yeah. One of the, the hardest things in our consumerism type of culture, all right, is this, is that we look at the church the same way that we look at a YMCA or a country club. And we figure again that we'll pick a church or we'll go to a church on what it can do for me. Now again, I was a youth pastor a long time and people will go to churches and say, well, if your youth ministry is pretty good, I want my kids to be there. Now they didn't all come because of the youth ministry, believe me. But hey, you know what? Over here, this church has good preaching. You know, over here, this church has good worship. You know, over here, this church does really global missions great. And, and I really think that that's where I want to be. Now, do I think any one of those things are bad? No, I don't. But realistically, as we look at what God does, is that we don't go to a church because of what we're going to get. We go to a church because of what we're going to give. You know, one of the hardest things is that we are right here in Palatine. We literally have Harvest Bible Chapel, which is six minutes away. You know, we've got uh, Willow Creek. I mean, folks, and and again, I think every one church, you know, every church has its strengths and its weaknesses. But holy cats, we owe a whole lot to Willow Creek Community Church, to be quite honest. You know, all 22,000 of those babies that, that are happening over there. And... And the truth is, they're 15 minutes away. You know, you got Arlington Free, 15 minutes away. And you start looking at all these different gigantor churches. Then you've got some really cool, smaller churches all around. you got a vineyard church that I just love, you know, that's right in downtown Palatine. 
you know. And so you've got all these different types of fellowships that are all around here. And the truth is this. When someone comes walking into our front door, and when we used to have elders here and when we used to be Grace Community, I was reprimanded a little more. But people would come in and say, well, you know what, I'm coming over here because, you know, that last church I was at, that pastor couldn't teach. Or, or you know what, that youth ministry is over here. You know, and, and some people, you know, they're like thinking, like I would say, oh, great, come here because <laughs> this is like the best place for worship that you can possibly have. You know, let's do this. And what I would say to them over and over again, say, you know, I just need to share with you. The church here isn't about what you're going to get. The church, as I understand how God puts it together, is what we can give and how we can equip. And what happens right here is that realistically, Peter went on, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with the strength and the energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever and ever. Hey, the whole idea of the church is to be able to reflect our God better. Is to be able to serve others so that they might be able to be um, put in a place where they would be able to see and receive from our Almighty God. You know, our worship service, many people don't understand this, but the truth is it's all about God. It actually isn't about a song, and it actually isn't about a message. It is all about God. Now, it doesn't mean that we take those things lightly. It really isn't. But the truth is this. Here's what Paul says, and we're going to start here next week when we, when we jump in. He says, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame your gift. Now, what happens with gifts? And I really believe this, because of, especially of this verse, is that every once in a while, we may recognize what God has given us. And we have the ability to use that. And sometimes we're hitting on all eight cylinders and, and God's doing some amazing things. But you know what? Ministry gets hard sometimes. And scenarios get difficult. And we begin to wax and wane and be able to fade a little bit. And I think what the Apostle Paul is saying this, you know, Timothy, I know ministry's hard for you right now. I know that church isn't hitting on all eight cylinders right now, but I want you to do this. I want you to get down. There's some coals in the fire. You still have had these teaching gifts. You still have these leadership gifts. You still have the gift of boldness. But you know what? You're not very bold at this moment. I want you to get down there, and I want you to fan. I want you to blow on the embers. I want you to build up a little bit more, you know, put some more sticks on there. Get that fire going. I want you to nurture that gift. I want you to feed that gift. I want you to take care of that gift. I want you to use that gift. You see, we exercise God's power to extend the kingdom and equip the church and give glory to God. And I think the enemy loves it when we do not use our gifts. We do not. So what's one of the main roles of a pastor or a campus pastor or other leaders in our church? 
Be able to help you discover your gift and put you in a spot so that you might be able to thrive. You know, we've got two facility guys. One's here. His name's Mark. But one of the things when they first came on board, they were very shy about asking people to help because they thought, and again, understandably, they don't want to bug you. They, they don't want to call you up and say, hey, can you come and paint? All right? But the truth is this. Every one of us, whether it be Mark or whether it be myself or whether it be Gina or whoever, other leaders that are in our place. You see, when we don't help people discover their gifts and allow them to use their gifts, actually, they do not thrive. They are not feeling useful. They are not equipping and building the church. And I just want to encourage you that one of the first things the Apostle Paul says, hey, hey, look, your gift usage is a little low. I want you to fan this into flame. The spiritual gift that God gave you. And some of you say, well, do you get that when someone lays hands? I, I think really what Paul was saying here is that when Timothy was commissioned, okay, he laid hands on Timothy and says, hey, I just want everybody to know you have the gift of leadership, you have the gift of teaching, and Timothy, you just take over this church. I'm leaving. i got to go start another church. Take care of emphasis. I'm out of here. Okay. And that's what he really was saying. So we got through about six verses. Okay, not that fast. But what we're hoping to in this whole study is to be able to understand. We won't have to go through all the details or some of the details next time when we meet. But we're going to come back next week and we're just going to, again, kind of go through this and see what God has to say for us and, and remind you over and over again. Okay, Paul is writing to Timothy, but so many of the things that he's saying to Timothy are applicable to every one of us. So my hope is this, not that you go and can regurgitate everything that we talked about today, but as we heard from God, we might be able to apply, we might be able to encourage, we might be able to, to obey God in one or two or three areas that God, the Holy Spirit, talked to you about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word. Would you today, Father, use your words to convict us, to encourage us, and to strengthen your church. In Jesus' name, amen.